Good, 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 good. Well, I knew we were going to have a baby dedication today. Actually, no, I didn't. But uh, he told me beforehand, thankfully, I just have a few thoughts I wanted to share this morning. Um, but minimal notes, so that could either be good or bad, right? For those of you who've been in church long enough, you know that could actually be a bad thing for you all. Um, we're in the book of Luke, chapter 19. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. It's a very familiar story. Um, if you grew up in church at all, um, you'll know the song uh, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he climbed up in the sycamore tree. John, would you like to lead, lead us? I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's a great song, catchy. Um, and, you know, I think sometimes in uh, Sunday school we can sing the song but not even really know what the story is about, you know. All we know is Zacchaeus, he was just a short guy, um, and he wanted to see the Lord, and, um, you know, that's about it, right? But uh, when you dive into the story, it's actually a really great uh, story, and it's actually the lectionary, gospel reading for the lectionary today, so I wanted to dive into it, and I think uh, there's a lot of really, really good truth in here. And it's funny how the, the Holy Spirit orchestrates these things, because I believe that uh, even in our song service today, the Lord was already um, bringing among, you know, out a lot of these themes already. So um, Luke chapter 19, starting at verse 1, if you have your Bibles um, and you're there, uh, we'll go ahead and begin. Verse 1, Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed up a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and said, or called him by name, Zacchaeus, he said, come down quickly. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He has gone to be with the guest of a, of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor. Lord, and if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, Salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for this time we've had together. Lord, I thank you for the amazing uh, time of worship we've had and the, ba the baby dedication, Lord. Uh, God, I pray in these next few moments as we look into your word, Lord, that you would help us to just really uh, dive in and, and understand um, not only ourselves better, but understand Jesus better and how we can draw, draw, draw closer to him. Lord, it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So this story here, um, you know, I kind of wanted to just take it line by line and, um, and we'll kind of just go through the story starting at verse one. So obviously Jesus um, in his ministry, uh, you know, Jesus himself said the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. If you didn't know, Jesus was a homeless preacher. Um, he was homeless um, more so by choice, not, not out of necessity, but um, he, he didn't have a place to call home. He was traveling all the time, and he was always on mission. And we see here in verse 1 of 19 that he entered into the town of Jericho. He was making his way through the town. And by this point in Jesus' ministry, he's already done many, many miracles. Uh, opened many blind eyes, many deaf ears, healed many, uh, many diseased and, and um, demon-possessed people. And so the word about Jesus had gotten out very strongly. It would be like, um, I don't know, I'm trying to think of a very, 
very famous person um, nowadays. I guess it would be like, um, I don't know, it's just in New York. I guess it would be like uh, if like Frank Sinatra back in the day rolled in, right? Very famous person, I don't know, right? I just listen to New York, New York a lot. Um, but uh, it would be like a very famous person, pick your, pick your own person, coming into town, and there would be a large crowd, of course, right? Because everybody's like, oh, I want to get an autograph or I want to, you know, get a picture or something like that, right? Think like Chief's training camp, right? There's like a bunch of people. Um, Jesus is going through the town and there's this huge crowd. And amongst the crowd, there was a man named Zacchaeus. Well, who is Zacchaeus? Well, we find out here in verse 2. And this is important to the story. So, so listen here. He was a chief. He was the chief tax collector in the region, okay? Which... Everybody here hates the IRS. Yep. Okay. Uh, just make sure I'm not the only one that steals money from your bank, from your paycheck. But, um, you know, imagine the IRS had a bunch of agents that ran around, okay, which um, they, they do, but they don't, you know, go knock on people's doors. Back in the day, they, Rome would have people who would go out and collect the taxes because they didn't have, you know, automatic withdrawals and all the kinds of things. So they had people that would show up at your house or find you wherever you're at, and they would be, their job was to collect the tax. But they were very dishonest people. Uh, they were crooks. They were thieves. Because if you owed, you know, let's say, you know, you owed $500 in, in today's money, they would charge you $700 or even $1,000, right? That, and they would take the extra. They were, they were thieves. And um, so Zacchaeus here is not just a tax collector, which, by the way, Matthew, one of Jesus' disciples, was also a tax collector. Um, so it tells you, a little bit about who Jesus called to be part of his 12, um, right? We're not, not very good guys, right? And, and that's getting into the, the message here today. But, but uh, Matthew here, he was not just a tax collector, but the chief tax collector. He was the guy. He was running, uh, he was running the whole operation. He was, uh, you know, distributing and telling people like, hey, you go to this area, you go to this area, right? He was the head honcho over the whole operation in the region. And the Bible says he had become very rich, he had made a lot of money from his schemes. Um, and so uh, Zacchaeus is not a good man by any means. Down in verse 7, the Bible says that he was a notorious sinner. Notorious sinner. Um, by no means was this a uh, gentleman that you would invite over for dinner or have, uh, you know, to mentor your children or uh, coach the t-ball team. I don't know, right? This was not a good guy. Um, wasn't a fellow that you would think that Jesus would pick, right? You wouldn't think he was a, a guy that Jesus would want um, to have dinner with, right? And we know there's a big crowd, so we know there's got to be some prestigious people there, right? You got you to gotta think there's probably some honorable people. There's probably people who have been waiting their whole lives for the Messiah. There's people who have been, who had been to the synagogue every day. People who had done every religious duty. People who had done all of the right things, all of the moral things. People who had done all of the right actions and they had done all of the right things. But Jesus didn't call any of them, did he? Uh, starting at verse, or continuing verse 3, uh, Zacchaeus tried to get a look at Jesus, but this is where the song comes in. He was too short. Uh, he, he was not able to look over the crowds. And so, uh, being the smart, cunning man, presumably that he was, um, he went and climbed up a tree. He thought, well, let me get a look of, of Jesus there. I think it's interesting because, um, you know, Zacchaeus can represent a lot of us in, in many ways. I think that in our lives, um, oftentimes we can feel unknown, 
right? We can feel hidden amongst the crowds of life. We can feel like, hey, I am just one person of eight billion on this earth. Who am I that God would know me? Right? Who am I that I would be noticed by God? Uh, I, I'm hidden amongst the crowds. I'm insignificant. And oftentimes we can think of ourselves in that way and we can find ourselves in that position. Um, but Jesus doesn't leave us there. Verse 5, when Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. And that right there is really important. I wanted to stop there for a second. He called him by name. And this is really, I think, just a profound, a profound deal of the gospel. This is a gospel-centered church, right? This is a gospel-centered church. And if you don't know what gospel means if you're new here, this means good news, the good news of Jesus. We preach the good news of Jesus here. And the good news is, is very simple. We've talked about it all here this morning, is that you have sinned far more than you could ever imagine, but God loves you far more than you could ever imagine. And that he's called you. He's called you. And so Zacchaeus finds himself in the middle of a crowd. He finds himself being shorter than everybody else, being less than, you could say, being hidden in the crowds. And he's trying to find Jesus. And amongst this whole crowd, Jesus calls him. He doesn't just say, hey, guy, why don't you come down here? You know, he says, Zacchaeus. He calls him by name. He calls him by name. And what I want to tell you this morning is that God knows you by name. That you might feel like life has done you a total 180. You might feel like you've been through uh, all kinds of circumstances. Maybe you feel insignificant. Maybe you feel covered up by the crowd. Sometimes feel, you feel a little bit less than. You feel like I am not anything compared to anybody. And, and why would God amongst the 8 billion people in the universe care about me? But I'm here to tell you this morning that not only does he care about you, but he knows you by name. He calls out your name. He calls out your name. He says, John, Isaac, Amy, Lori, Marion. He calls you by name. He's calling out to you specifically. It's not just Zacchaeus for, for, for the story. No, it's, that is God's call to each and every person. Calls them by name. Calls them by name. And that's a really important thing because our names really at the end of the day are our identity. Right? That's who we identify as. We are you know, the names that we were given or maybe you like to go by a middle name or something like that, right? But whatever your name is, that's your identity. And so Jesus not only is calling out to this, uh, this fellow, but he is identifying him. He's saying, you matter, you're important. Hey, let me get your attention. He says, after that, he said, come down quickly. This part right here is really important. I must be a guest in your home today. Notice what Jesus said there. I, Jesus, must be a guest in your home today. Now, my mom always told me it was rude to invite yourself over to people's houses, right? But when you're Jesus, I guess you can do whatever you want. No, but listen here. Jesus said, I want to be a guest in your house today. And so many times we get it twisted. We say, Jesus, I want to be a guest in your house. I want to be a guest in, and I want to be a part of your house. House, Jesus, I want to be in, in your mansion. I want to be part of what you're doing. Well, let me keep my house over here. I want to come be part of yours, Jesus. But no, Jesus, Jesus says, no, I'm coming over to your place. How many of you remember what uh, Dr. Paul McDonald preached to us several weeks ago about the houses and uh, the closets that we keep from Jesus, the things that we keep hidden? How many of you know when you have a guest that comes over, you've got to clean, get the house cleaned up? And back, I really identify with what he said about the bedroom, because back when I was a kid, I would just shove everything underneath of the bed and, uh, to hide it. You know, we do that with Jesus, right? Jesus says, hey, I'm coming over to your house today, and there's really nothing you can do about it, 
right? I, hey, I need to be a guest in your house today, Jesus said to Zacchaeus. I'm coming over to your house today. The question I want to ask you this morning is, are you going to let him in? He's asking, he's saying, hey, I want to come in today. I want to dine with you. I want to have a meal with you. I want to share time with you, a relationship with you. Are you going to let him into your house today? Because that's, that's completely different. Everybody wants to come. Well, not everybody, but if you're here today, you want to come to his house, church, right? The house of the Lord. You want to come to his house, but are you going to let him come to your house? That's a completely different question. Because oftentimes with Christianity, we can keep our faith inside of these four walls and we can, oh, hallelujah, you know, we can praise God here in the sanctuary, but never let it affect us outside of the walls. But true faith, no, true faith exceeds these walls. It goes outside of these walls. Uh, there's a church I get to preach at from time to time. And before they, there's a sign right above the door. I'm not saying we need to do this, but I really enjoy it. It says, you are now entering the mission field. You are now entering the mission field. It's a constant reminder for them every time they leave their church that their faith does not stay inside of the center block walls, but it goes out there, follows them. Jesus says, I'm going to be a guest in your home today. Are you going to let him in? And if you let him in, what would he find? Right? What would he find? What would he find? And no doubt... Jesus going to Zacchaeus' home, he may not find some very good things. He might find some receipts of some uh, overly charged Israelites, right? They might find some extra cash pushed under the bed somewhere, like some mafia member under the floorboard, you know, some cash in there. I don't know, right? What would Jesus find in Zacchaeus' house? The Bible doesn't really tell us. But Jesus is in the business. He's a little nosy. He's a little nosy. He's looking to get into every single part of our lives. He's not looking to leave anything untouched. And for so long, Christianity uh, in America has, has preached a gospel where I can get my ticket to heaven, but God, let me take care of this down here. But Jesus is not as much interested in you coming over to his house as he is him coming over to your house. Him eating with you and joining in to your house. Okay, verse 6 Zacchaeus quickly climbed down. He was probably startled. He's like, what? <laughs> what, Jesus, you're coming over? And took Jesus to his house. Um, but it says here, with great excitement and joy. So maybe it wasn't as much as startling as it was. He was excited that he was actually noticed. He was excited that he was noticed uh, by Jesus. But the people, listen here, the people were displeased. The people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner. This echoes back to verse, uh, Luke 15, verse 1. Um, it says here, tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. That's what Luke 15, 1 says. And then verse 2 says, This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain, some versions say grumble, that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. Right? Because back in the day, what we've got to understand is that, you know, we might go, you might go out to eat with somebody, just casually go out to uh, grab a burger or, you know, go to the steakhouse or something like that, right? And it doesn't really mean a whole lot if you go to eat with somebody. But back in the day, to receive somebody into your home and to eat with them was, was a sign of, of um, 
a communion. It was a kind of a union that, that you're attaching yourself to that kind of person, that it was a lot deeper than it is today. To invite somebody over back then was a very, very big deal. And so I want, uh, maybe one thing to analyze here is who are the types of people that Jesus wanted to eat with? Who are the type of people that Jesus had meals with? Who are the type of people that Jesus, to use layman's terms, hung out with? Who are the people that Jesus hung out with? Well, the Bible is very clear that it was tax collectors. It was other sinners. Uh, it was prostitutes. It was um, people who um, were demon-possessed. It was, it was people who were, um, you could say, that were the, the lower echelon of society. Okay? And, and just to be clear, it's, he's not hanging out with any of those people to partake in anything that they're about. But when, and this is part of Jesus, right, is that Jesus, when he comes in contact with sin, he is not infected by sin or persuaded by sin or diminished by sin. But instead, when he touches sin, when he interacts with sin, he heals the sin. He changes the sin. And so Jesus, in hanging out with these people, he's not affected at all by their problems or their issues. Jesus isn't affected at all by your problems or your issues. When we bring our issues to Jesus, it's not affecting him at all, but instead he affects us. He heals us. He changes us. We, 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 uh, we're made privy to this whenever, uh, referencing again back to Dr. McDonald's sermon about leprosy. That whenever the leper touched Jesus, typically Jesus, you know, anybody else, if they're touched by leprosy, would be infected, right? But Jesus, no, he wasn't infected. He healed the man. He healed the man. That's what happens whenever Jesus touches sin. So who are the type of people that Jesus ate with? Notorious sinners. Notorious sinners. Just a quick question. Who do you invite over to your home? And I, I'm saying that metaphorically, but also literally. Right? Um, I talked to a fellow the other day, who's um, just a good friend, catching up with him, and, and they're going to be buying a house in California. And he said, we're specifically looking for a house with an extra bedroom so we can be extra hospitable to people that might be in town. And I thought about that. I thought, that's really cool. Where's our level of hospitability? Who do we invite over to our house? Now, am I saying that you should invite an ex-felon to come over and hang out with the kids? No. Probably should use some wisdom there, right? But are we putting limits on who deserves our time? Are we putting limits on who deserves our love, on who deserves our attention? Are we putting limits on who we may or may not hang out with or be associated with because we're worried about what other people may think? It seems to me that Jesus did not care what other people thought. It seems to me that Jesus did not care what people thought about who he was hanging out with. Jesus did not care one bit about what the people were grumbling and complaining about because he had one mission and one mission only to come and seek and save that which was lost. And church, I ask you this morning, is our mission the same? Is our mission to seek and save that which was lost? Because if we call ourselves Christian and we identify with Jesus and we want to follow after Jesus, then that means we need to live like Jesus. And Jesus had one mission only. And it says it here in verse 10, that the Son of Man came to seek and save those who were lost. And if we came, if we want to live a life where we want to seek and save those who are lost, we can't save anybody. If we want to point them to Jesus, then maybe that means we need to let our guards down a little bit, let our ego down a little bit, and start associating with people who maybe aren't that cool, who maybe don't have it all together, who maybe don't have, you know, the type of life that we dream of, right? Maybe we associate 
with people in a different way. In a different way. Who do we eat meals with? Back in the day, in high school, um, I'm not telling this story to pat my back or anything like that, but there was um, this particular um, girl who had special needs in our school. And, but high functioning, but, you know, everybody treated her a certain way because of that. And um, there was also another fellow who, you know, everybody knows the type, smelly, didn't come for very much money, you know, um, and even a speech impediment. And I remember a sermon being preached, not about this, but about this specific idea of who do we associate with? Are we willing to go out and associate with the downtrodden and the broken to bring them Christ? Are we willing to do that? Um, And I even heard somebody say once that we went, you know, at youth conferences and stuff, they will tell the kids, you know, go change the world. But oftentimes we, we get so caught up in changing the world that we forget just to be kind to our neighbor, be kind to the kid that needs it. Um, and so, you know, I went and, uh, and, and I'm happy to say that I went and ate with that particular girl and that particular guy. I'm happy to say that I did that. Um, because several years later, it was, it was um, about a year ago, uh, we were at, I was up at King City for the homecoming game. And... Um, you know, that, that particular girl's grown up now, and she said, Walker, I'm so happy that you and it was my brother, too, were nice to me, because you were one of the only people who were nice to me. And no, no, don't clap, don't clap. <laughs> I'm not telling you that I should have I substituted somebody else's name in here. The point I'm making is that will we be, will we put in a conscious effort to reach out to those who are different than us, those who are maybe a little smelly, a little weird, a little broken, right? What if the food kitchen said, put a sign on the door that said, perfect people only. Only perfect people allowed. Well, nobody would be there. Nobody would be there. But sometimes we can put a self-righteous mask on and say, well, I'm, you know, we do this subconsciously, but we need to identify these things. We need to think about how we think, Right? I'm upper echelon. They are beneath me. I don't, I don't want to be around them, right? And I'm just, if the shoe fits, wear it, right? This is how we think sometimes. And we need to help have the Holy Spirit help us to retrain our mind to be more like Jesus. Because Jesus here, and this I just showed you in Luke 15 and now in Luke 19, this was a pattern. That he was hanging out with people that needed to know Jesus. Needed to know Jesus. Now, I just want to put a caveat here and be very clear that if you just walked out of alcoholism, you probably shouldn't spend your time back at the bars, okay? (laughs) Right? If you just got off crack, you probably shouldn't go back to the crack house, okay? Right? Um, So there's wisdom in this, right? But at the same time, Sherman, who shared his testimony with us a couple weeks ago, was delivered from alcoholism and then started a 12-step program, right? So it's after God has done it, worked a miracle in your life, it's very much uh, likely that he'll actually ask you to go back to where you came from and to minister to those uh, that are going through the same thing that you went through, right? And so River Church, the question to ask ourselves today is who do we associate with? 
Or maybe a better question is, who are we afraid to associate with? Or who do we maybe cringe a little bit about talking to or hanging out with? And maybe this morning you think I'm preaching an outrageous message, but it's not me, it's Jesus. I'm just simply telling you what Jesus did. He hung out with those that were the most downtrodden, the ones that were not cool, not um, prominent, had no power, had no authority. Um, But he hung out with them. He spent his time around them, ministering to them and bringing life to them. And what happened? We see in verse 8 that when Jesus was with Zacchaeus, in the Bible here, it's just a couple verses. I presume this was a whole afternoon. But really, if we're to follow the scriptures, it seems as if a moment. In a moment, Zacchaeus here in verse 8 says, it says, Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Four times as much. And so what happens whenever Jesus, I said this earlier, but I'm going to say it again, what happens when Jesus comes in the presence of sin, when Jesus comes in the presence of of broken people, when Jesus comes in the presence of those who don't have it all together, their lives are instantly changed. They are instantly healed. He was instantly changed from his crooked mindset. He repents. If you've heard that word before and you don't know what it means, repent simply means to turn around. It means to turn around. Zacchaeus was living his life in one way. He was stealing from people. He was a crook. He was a thief. He was not living a good life, a holy life, a righteous life. But one moment with Jesus, he said, Lord, I'm going to turn my life around. I'm going to give half of my wealth to the poor. Anybody I've cheated, I'm going to go back and give them their money. His life was instantly changed. He repented. He turned back to Christ, and he walked in that way. Amazing. Amazing. And that's all it takes is one moment with Christ. All it takes is one encounter with Christ. All it takes is one time where you allow Jesus in and he will change your life. So many of us here can testify of moments where we've had the Lord. We've been walking this way. And the Lord said, hey, turn around. And we turn around. What does God do? We've been reading about this in 1 John in our Tuesday Talks Bible study, 1 John 1, 9. Let me turn there real quick. 1 John 1, 9. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to condemn us. No. To forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let me say that again. Take this in, church. But if we confess our sins to him, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so when we're walking in this way and we say, Lord, I've messed up. Lord, I've done wrong. Lord, I I know I'm not living the way I should. I want to live for you. He is faithful and just to forgive us. And listen here what the Bible says here in verse 9. Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. Salvation has come to this home today. And I think so many people, and hopefully this is not your mindset, but so many people think that when we turn to God, that if I come to church, the building will fall down, or 
You've heard the phrases, right? If I come to God, if I, if I, if I come to God, my, what I've done is too much, right? Have you ever heard that? What I've done is too much. I, I, I can't possibly be forgiven. But what does Jesus say here in verse 10? When Zacchaeus turns, sorry, verse 9, salvation has come to this home today. Salvation has come to this home today. And so when Zacchaeus turns to the Lord, the Lord meets him with forgiveness, meets him with restoration, meets him with love. And that's what Jesus' mission has always been. Verse 10, for the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. So why did Jesus come? You ever been asked that question? Why did Jesus come? Why did Jesus die on the cross? Why did he rise again? Well, he tells us right here, the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. That was his mission. His mission was to reach out to those who were lost, those who did not have their way, those who were confused, those who were broken. He came to reach out to those people. And so River Church, I've already said it once, but I will say it again uh, to conclude this sermon and ask you, is that our mission? Is our mission to see, is, is our mission to reach out to those who are lost and to provide them a way home? Is that our life's mission? Or are we maybe sitting on the sidelines? Are we sitting on the sidelines? Um, my mentor, Jonathan Garlock Sr., said, Christianity is not a spectator sport. We don't sit on the sidelines. We're not fans. Ooh, Jesus, yeah, go Jesus. You do your thing, Jesus. No. Jesus is the head coach, and he's asking you to go play ball. He's asking you to get in the game, right? There's, there's, not, there's not enough time to sit around on the sidelines. He's asking us to be on mission. I remember when we listened to Hal Donaldson at District Council, one of the four things that they took a poll, they asked pastors, what do you believe that God is saying to the church today? Number four was that the church needs to get back on mission. Needs to get back on mission. What is, what is our mission? The Great Commission. Jesus said to go into all the world and to preach the gospel, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. That's the Great Commission. And so are we on mission? Are we seeking to save those who are lost? Are we seeking to bring others to Jesus? Because at the end of the day, guys, it's good news. It's good news. And people are lost and people are broken and people are hurting. But will we stay away from them because they're a little weird? Because maybe they have a speech impediment. Or maybe they're a certain type of way, right? Or will we stay away from them because maybe they're not the type of person that we grew up being friends with, right? I could go on and on and on. You know who I'm talking about. The Holy Spirit will bring it to your heart. Who do you need to reach out to this week? Holy Spirit, help us. Who do we need to reach out to this week to show the love of Christ? Who do we need to reach out to? We sang about it this morning. His love. We've sinned, but his love is greater still. Who needs to hear that love in your life? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you. Lord, I know this was a short and to the point message, but God, I believe that you're desiring us to walk in your mission. Lord, I believe that you're desiring us to continue your mission. So Lord, help us to live like you. Lord, help us to be on mission. Help us to be on mission.
Bring to mind to us right now, Lord, who are the people in our lives maybe that we've been avoiding or that we, we, uh, we don't treat them the same way as we do other people. Lord, forgive us and help us to walk in your strength. Help us to walk in your strength. You know, there's multiple ways that we can read a story. And maybe this morning, you, uh, maybe you're not aligning as much with Jesus, but maybe you align more with Zacchaeus. Maybe you felt like you've been um, walking amongst crowds. You feel like you have no purpose or identity in life. You feel lost. You feel like you have no direction. You feel unknown, unloved. But you feel Jesus calling you by name this morning. You feel him calling you by name. Will you just call out to him right now and say, Jesus, I give my life to you. I open my house to you today. I open my doors to you. I open my closets to you. I open my whole life to you today, Lord Jesus. Come and have your way in me. Come and have your way in my life. Come and have your way in my everyday Let me tell you that when you pray that prayer, God is not disappointed with you. He's not mad at you. He's not condemning you. But the Bible says that that all of the angels in heaven rejoice when even one sinner comes home. And so we rejoice because Jesus loves us and he's called us by name. So Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, that you have called us We are not strangers. We are not nobodies. We're not no names. But Lord, you have called us. You have called us, Lord Jesus. We thank you for that. Lord, we thank you for your grace. Not deserved, not earned, but freely given. We just take a moment and thank him for his grace. Lord Jesus, thank you. I didn't deserve it. I didn't earn it. But Lord, you freely gave it. We accept that today. We accept that love. We accept that salvation today. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.